Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Age is a funny thing. Some people say age is just a number. Others say age is a frame of mind. I want to read to you what the writer and speaker Oz Guinness has to say about age. Guinness writes, It is said that gymnasts are old at 20, boxers at 35, cricketers and baseball players at 40, Yet doctoral students are old at 30, while young as professors at 31. Novelists, we are told, do their best work in their 20s and 30s, whereas painters are still young in their 40s. Most leaders of the great revivals and awakenings were under the age of 30, but many of the greatest leaders of nations have been in their 80s. Golda Meir only became prime minister of Israel at the age of 80. In short, the way of excellence as well as contentment is to be our utmost for God's highest at whatever age we are. Age is a funny thing. In fact, Jean Calmay has the record as having lived the longest in modern times that has been able to be documented. Jean Calmay died at about 122 and a half years of age in France. On her 120th birthday, try blowing out those candles, somebody asked her, would you give us your vision of the future? She said, very brief. (laughs) (laughs) Or consider the 102-year-old, another centenarian, 102-year-old woman who, at coming to that point in her life, was asked the question, What is the best thing about being your age? She said, there's no peer pressure. (laughs) None at all. (laughs) Or consider John Tetman, vicar at the church in Madison, Wisconsin, the Grace Episcopal Church, who told a story about a woman, an elderly woman who died in his congregation, had never married, had never married, and had spelled out clearly in her will, her instructions about her funeral. She said, there are to be no male pallbearers, none. She said, they didn't take me out while I was alive. I don't want them taking me out when I'm dead. (laughs) Age is a funny thing. So here we are in the midst of a series focused in on those kinds of matters, generations, it's called. And today we talk about young adults. Most demographers say that the young adult is someone between the ages of 18 and 35. Some will vary a few years on one end or the other of that, but that's primarily agreed upon, about 18 to 35. Young adults, it's the time period in our life when we are making some of the most important decisions we can make. We're deciding what our career will be, what will we give our lives to. 
We decide if we marry, whom we will marry, largely in that period of time. And we decide if we believe in God, what kind of God we believe in. On that subject, on the subject of God and spirituality and religion, young adults, we are told in our country, are at some interesting places, places where many have not been before. A 2012 Pew study pointed out that there is a growing number of people in the country as a whole, but certainly in the young adult area, that they call the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Because when asked, what is your religious affiliation, they check none. I'm not affiliated with an organized religious body. A researcher at Harvard Divinity School, Casper DeKyle, got to looking at that age group, got to wondering about those realities. Was there still a desire for the spiritual within them or even the religious, even though many of them are saying, I don't have any connection to an organized religion? So DeKyle studied. He discovered, yes, that is very much still there. They still very much want to connect with something larger than themselves, want a sense of connection in community want a place, a space to which they can go. But what Turkile and his fellow researchers discovered was that space was quite different than it has been for many others. They discovered, in fact, that one of the primary places where young adults go for that kind of meaning, significance, and connection is fitness clubs. So Turkile, in his, in his research capacity, was interviewed... And this is what he said to the interviewer. People come, that is to fitness centers, people come because they want to lose weight or gain muscle strength, but they stay for the community. It's really the relationships that keep them coming back. We heard people say, well, CrossFit is my church, or Soul Cycle is like my cult in a good way. Once that religious perspective had been opened in our eyes, so many things came out whether it's the flag on display in every CrossFit gym, the way that the space is set up, or how you could kind of follow a liturgy and soul cycle class, especially through the use of light and sound. So it's really an emotional and spiritual experience as well as a physical one. Different ways of experiencing God, community, something greater. An editor at Christianity Today, reflecting on what Turkile and others are saying, wrote this. Young people are searching for self-actualization, fulfillment, and a spiritual connection. The role of the church is to show them that what they are searching for comes through a deep relationship with the living God and his people. If you want to work out, find a gym. If you want meaning, Come to Jesus. And I have a question about that. What would happen if a young adult did come to Jesus? What would happen if a young adult came to Jesus asking about meaning and connection and spirituality? What might Jesus say? Well, we're going to go to Matthew's Gospel, the 19th chapter. We're going there because it's one of the few places in the New Testament. In fact, it's the only place in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus interacts with a young adult so we can 
eavesdrop and overhear that conversation to get a sense, what would Jesus say to a young adult? Now, this story, as we join the narrative in flow, is cast against the backdrop of what has just happened with the children. The mothers have brought their children to Jesus, wanting Jesus to lay hands on them and bless them. And the disciples have been very perturbed by that. They have chased them away. Get out of here. What do you think we're doing? Running a daycare? Please, be gone. Be gone. Jesus is doing important stuff. When Jesus realizes what is happening, he says, no, 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 no. You do not do that. And he draws them together and says, you see these? This is what my kingdom is made up of. These and others just like them. It's right at that time, against that backdrop, that a man comes. A man comes to Jesus asking him what he needs to do to truly experience life. Let's read it. It's in Matthew's Gospel, the 19th chapter. I begin reading in verse 16. Just then, that's right after the incident with the children, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. There are three characteristics we ought to note about this man who comes to Jesus. First of all, he was a moral person, a moral man. He was a good man, the kind of man you would appreciate having as a neighbor, the kind of man who obeyed the rules, kept the law, mowed his lawn, painted his house, washed his car, the kind of man who was concerned to live in community in helpful and positive ways. That's who he was. He was a moral man. When he asked Jesus the question, what good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments. Which ones? Jesus tells him, and he says, I've done that. Haven't committed adultery. Haven't murdered anyone. I don't lie to my neighbors. I'm not stealing from them. I've loved my neighbor as myself. I am a moral man person. That's the first quality to notice. The second quality to notice is not only was he a moral man, he was a wealthy man. He had whatever he needed by way of this world's blessings. This was the kind of guy who back in high school drove the BMW and parked it in the parking lot. This was the one that went on European vacations always and could take a friend or two every summer. This is the one that always dressed in the latest fashions, always had the things required. When his friends were living two to three to a room in an old dormitory, he lived off campus in a house his parents had bought. He had everything he needed. You notice in verse 22 what it says. After Jesus lays down the challenge for him, 
He walks away sad, and the text says he walks away sad because he had great wealth. He was a moral man. He was a wealthy man. But thirdly, he was a young man. Matthew doesn't tell us that right up front, although those who were there on site that day would have immediately recognized he was young. But Matthew does tell us partway into the story. In fact, twice he tells us he was a young man. Verses 20 and 22, the young man, the young man. It's a Greek word about which there's a bit of a different opinion. Some say the meaning of that word is anybody just past puberty and up to the point when they get married, which wouldn't have been a particularly large window of time in that world. But others say, no, the window is larger, 20 to maybe up to 40, to some point in time when they truly enter middle adulthood, taking all the responsibilities of adulthood. But whichever interpretation you take, what is clear, this man was a young adult. And he comes to Jesus with a question. He first of all asks, what good thing must I do? Jesus gives him the answer. But he doesn't stop with that. In fact, the question he asks next to me is a compelling question. One that each one of us should ask. One that every young adult should ask. Notice what he says. He comes having a good name, a good reputation, known around the community for his good works, no doubt. He's the kind of person who, when he opens a closet door, will not be hit by a skeleton he forgot was there. A good name, a good reputation. Proverbs tells us that's worth great riches. This man who has that comes to Jesus and asks this question, what do I lack? What do I lack? I know I have a good name. I've done all the right things. I made the choices my parents suggested. But what do I lack? Something is missing in my life. He asked the question. Despite the fact that he has everything at his fingertips that he might need to live a comfortable, good, and satisfying life. He comes to Jesus able to say, Jesus, I'm able to provide for myself. I'll provide for a family one day. I have everything I need and desire. But Jesus, what do I lack? There's something in my heart, something at the core that still has not found a deep level of satisfaction. I'm missing something what is that that I'm missing? He comes as a young adult. As a young adult, he stands with the road of life stretched out before him. The future is filled with possibilities, filled with promise, filled with the kinds of things that would make life exciting for most of us. The world is your oyster. Choose what you want. You have all the future to go. He looks at that and turns to Jesus and asks, what do I lack? There's something at the core that's missing. Can you tell me what it is? Curious that a young man 
with all those good qualities, still recognizes something is missing. You see, he's asking about a certain kind of life. When we read the text, he says, What good thing must I do to obtain eternal life? That Greek word, what we see mostly when we read that is permanence. In other words, in the kingdom of God, I want the life that never ends. While that's contained in the word, that's not all that is contained in the word. That word also refers to a certain quality of life. Very much like Jesus said over in John 10 when he said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. He's asking for that kind of life. I have it all, everything I need, but something is missing, Jesus. What do I lack? He doesn't have a purpose, a compelling purpose. In fact, talking about purpose, I read you the words of Mark Batterson, preacher, author, who writes this, I want to die the same way Wilson Bentley did. Wilson grew up on a farm in Jericho, Vermont, and as a young boy, he developed a fascination with snowflakes. Obsession might be a better word for it. Most people go indoors during snowstorms, not Wilson. He would run outside when the flakes started falling, catch them on black velvet, look at them under a microscope, and take photographs of them before they melted. His first photo micrograph of a snowflake was taken on January 15, 1885. He said, Under the microscope, I found that snowflakes were miracles of beauty. And it seemed a shame that this beauty should not be seen and appreciated by others. Every crystal was a masterpiece of design, and no design was ever repeated. When a snowflake melted, that design was forever lost. Just that much beauty was gone without leaving any record behind. The first known photographer of snowflakes, Wilson pursued his passion for more than 50 years. He amassed a collection of 5,381 photographs that was published in his magnum opus entitled Snow Crystals. And then he died a fitting death, a death that symbolized and epitomized his life. Wilson Snowflake Bentley contracted pneumonia while walking six miles through a severe snowstorm and died on December 23. 1931. And that, says Batterson, is how I figured out how I want to die. No, I don't want to die from pneumonia, but I do want to die doing what I love. I am determined to pursue God-ordained passions until the day I die. Life is too precious to settle for anything less. That's what the young man was missing. A God-ordained passion. A grand purpose. Larger than himself. Larger than his life. Something compelling that would drive him forward into the future. Doing that for which God had created him. 
And so he comes to Jesus asking, what do I lack? And Jesus says, sell everything you have, take your money, give it to the poor, come and follow me. That's disturbing. At that, we have to pause and ask, is that Jesus' cookie-cutter recipe for every person who comes asking for a bigger purpose in life? Is that what we are called to do, to give it all away? Are you called, young adult, here to go back to your dorm room and take all the clothes out of the closet, take them down to relive thrift? Take that bank account that may be meager but still has something in it, write a check, Loma Linda University Church. <laughs> For the work of outreach, give it all away. We'll, 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 we'll take it. <laughs> Is that what we're called to do? Mother, father of a young adult, to go put your house on the market and walk away. I don't know. Because God's call in each life is different. But I will tell you this. We need to be careful to pay attention to context as we study Scripture. So the first piece of context in the life of this man is the world of his day. In the world of his day, somebody who had financial means, whether it be Abraham in the Old Testament or Joseph of Arimathea in the New, was viewed as being under the blessing of God. You lived a righteous life. Now God is blessing you. It's not a perspective Jesus shared, but that was in the air. A second piece of context. Matthew is not the only one to tell us this story. Mark tells it, and Luke tells it. When Luke tells the story, he immediately follows that story with two other stories right after it. The first other story he tells is the story of Zacchaeus, another wealthy man. This man, this wealthy man, had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And when he had that encounter, he stood up and said to Jesus, Jesus, half of my goods I'm giving to the poor. Half. Kind of like Zacchaeus, don't you? Half my goods I'm giving to the poor. And out of the rest, I'll give back four times as much to anybody I defrauded. So Zacchaeus gets away with half. The immediate next story is Jesus' parable about the talents, which would have been money in his day and time. The ten talents. Do you know who's commended in that story? The one commended in that story is the one not who gave it away, but the one who invested it and who increased it that it might be used to further the work of the kingdom. Remember one other piece of context. In this same book, in Matthew, back in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus made his statement, no one can serve two masters. Either they'll hate one and love the other or love the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So I dare say there must have been something that Jesus saw in the life of this young adult. Something that alerted him to the fact that money was his master. 
Money was the thing that stood between him and accepting the call of God on his life. It may be the same with you, or it may be something very different. But Jesus, looking with undimmed prophetic eye into the life of that young adult, recognized the truth of the modern-day statement, money is a great servant but a terrible master. So he said, if you would follow me, you've got to let it go. And then come and follow me. And that man, that moral man, that wealthy man, that young man, says the text, walked away sad because he had great wealth. It's curious that Mark's gospel tells us something that neither Matthew nor Luke tell us. Tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus is not trying to challenge this young adult in an unkind way. He walks away and we never hear from him again. What does that mean? I want to suggest to you that Jesus has given him a choice. He has said, on the one hand, here is your choice. You have the choice of a good life. A life that is moral, a life that is upright, a life where you're a good neighbor, a life where you're a functional, healthy member of society, a life where you provide for your family, you stay within the lines, you don't get out of the box. It's a good life. That's one choice. That's what you're already living. That's what's causing you to ask, what do I lack? Or you have another choice. You can choose not a good life, but a great life. Because if you make this choice, you won't live within the box. You won't always color within the lines. But if you live with this choice, you will follow me into the grand adventure that is the kingdom of God. You will live a life that is filled with risk. You will live a life that is not always clear. You will live a life where you will not always get praised. You may live a life where you can help others or others need to help you. But I will tell you this, by the end of the day, you will be a part of a community that will turn the world upside down. That's your second choice. A good life or a great life. A life that leaves you asking, what am I lacking? Or a life that will fill you with exhilaration at what God is doing in the world. A safe life or a dangerous life. Productive life or a passionate life. A bland life or a wild life. That's your choice. I dare say that's where many young adults stand today. You are at a place in life, a stage in life, unlike any other. I can remember clearly and distinctly. I don't know why. It's been said that we don't remember time. We remember moments. And I remember this moment as clear as though it had happened last week. I was in my late teen years. It was in Keene, Texas. God had been doing some work in my life at that point in time. I was turning more deeply to the things of God 
inwardly. It had always been there outwardly. But for some reason on that day, there was something that rose up in me that desired this choice. I can remember going into my grandmother's house and kneeling in her house. Nobody else was home. Kneeling in her house and praying, God, do something great with my life. Not just a good life. I tell you that story not as an example in my own life, but to say that is not unusual in our young adult years. I want to live a life that counts, that matters, that goes beyond the mundane and the superficial. I want God to do something great in my life. Many young adults stand at that place. Deciding a good life or a great life. You stand beside another young adult in the presence of Jesus as he is making his decision. But I must add, it is not always tied to chronological age. Age is a funny thing. Let me read you as evidence of that. A piece entitled Simply Youth, written by yesteryear's poet and preacher Samuel Ullman. Listen to Ullman's words. He writes, Youth is not a time of life. It is a state of mind. It is not a matter of red cheeks, red lips, and supple knees. It is a temper of the will, a quality of the imagination, a vigor of the emotions. It is a freshness of the deep springs of life. Youth means a temperamental predominance of courage over timidity, of the appetite for adventure over a life of ease. This often exists in a man of 50 more than in a boy of 20. Nobody grows old by merely living a number of years. People grow old by deserting their ideals. Years may wrinkle the skin, but to give up enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Worry, doubt, self-distrust, fear, and despair. These are the long, long years that bow the head and turn the growing spirit back to dust. Whether 70 or 16, there is in every being's heart a love of wonder, the sweet amazement at the stars and star-like things and thoughts, the undaunted challenge of events, the unfailing childlike appetite for what comes next, and the joy in the game of life. You're as young as your faith, as old as your doubt. As young as your self-confident, as old as your fear. As young as your hope, as old as your despair. In the central place of your heart, there is a wireless station. So long as it receives messages of beauty, hope, cheer, grandeur, courage, and power from the earth, from men, and from the infinite one, so long are you young. When the wires are all down and the central places of your heart are covered with the snows of pessimism and the ice of cynicism, then you are grown old indeed. I want to say this to our young adult friends. You stand in the presence of Jesus with a moral, wealthy young adult at your side making a decision. Please understand that it will impact not only you, but the rest of us as well. Because I will tell you this, we need you as young adults. We need your life. 
We need your energy. We need your passion. We need your vision for the future. The four who stood here this morning and told us their dream for the church. Deeply stirring to me and I know to many of you. We need that. We need it because it melts some of the snow of pessimism, some of the ice of cynicism in our own hearts and lives that's built up there over the years. We need what you bring of the passion for Jesus, the energy, the dream, the possibility, but we must go to the next mountain, you say. When we've become content in the valley, we need you. This past week, in fact, one week ago today, Battle Creek Tabernacle, annual council, they took a picture up the front part of the church, choir loft, filled with the general conference executive committee. It was maybe the saddest point of the week for me. Filled all the executive committee members up there. And as I looked up there, I thought, I may be among the youngest people here. <laughs> Me, graybeard, among the youngest. And I thought, that is not historic Adventism. No matter how you dress, historic Adventism were people in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s, saying, God has called us. He has called us to tell the world that we want to be with Jesus. We have a deep yearning to be in his presence. And he's told us that he will come. So we want to tell you because we want you to know him and walk with him as well. Kids in their teens and 20s changing the world. That's historic Adventism. Not making the good choices, but the great choice. To say we can't live a safe life that is merely boundaried by what we've always done. There is something more up ahead to which God has called us. Make no mistake about it. We desperately need you as young people because we're going to be stepping out of the way. Stepping out of the way because you're coming on hard and strong as you should be. God is going to do something in this world through you. If you make that choice, when I was a kid growing up, there was a book I used to take off the shelf and I used to page through. I had a fascination with that book called Through Gates of Splendor. It was the story of five young adults here in this country who felt the stirrings of God in their souls to go to the jungles of Ecuador and to work with indigenous peoples. And so they went got into the jungles, and before they had a chance to begin their work, all five of them were martyred, martyred for their faith. I used to peruse that book over and again. I used to look at the pictures of these lives that had been sacrificed because they believed in a greater cause. They knew life was not always to be safe when you follow Jesus. It was maybe because of that life that one quote found in the diary of, of Jim Elliott, the one who may have been the leader of the group, continues to haunt me to this day. 
Jim Elliott, young adult, who wrote these words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And there's that young adult standing in the presence of Jesus and you standing at his side. And we're waiting, waiting with bated breath to know Will you choose the good or will you choose the great?